So, you're going to be turning to four places, and I'm going to tell you right away, Deuteronomy 6, Judges 24, Psalm 78, and 2 Timothy 2. And those are the places we're going to go. And I, uh, I'll tell you the, the essence of what we're doing tonight. Every generation has to see God for themselves. There's no second generation Christians. There's no such thing as second generation Christians. The first generation has a responsibility, but nobody can replace God in the life of every individual. Our children, our grandchildren, we want the best for them. But we can't choose for them. God doesn't burglarize the will. And we'll see that in the scriptures tonight. But before I do that, before we get into Deuteronomy 6, this is a true story, but I want you to listen carefully to this. I, because I went to school for mechanical engineering, and I like scientific things and physics and chemistry and Human physiology, I like all that stuff. And so here's this story. The following concerns a question in a physics exam at the University of Copenhagen. Describe how to determine the height of a skyscraper with a barometer. One student replied, you tie a long piece of string to the neck of the barometer, then lower the barometer from the roof of the skyscraper to the ground. The length of the string plus the length of the barometer will equal the height of the building. This highly original answer so incensed the examiner that the student was failed immediately. The student appealed on the grounds that his answer was indisputably correct and the university appointed an independent arbiter to decide the case. The arbiter judged that the answer was indeed correct but did not display any noticeable knowledge of physics. To resolve the problem, it was decided to call the student in and allow him six minutes in which to provide a verbal answer which showed at least a minimal familiarity with the basic principles of physics. For five minutes, the student sat in silence, forehead creased in thought. The arbiter reminded him that time was running out, to which the student replied that he had several extremely relevant answers, but couldn't make up his mind which one to use. On being advised that his time had expired, he replied as follows. First, you could take the barometer up to the roof of the skyscraper and drop it over the edge and measure the time it takes to reach the ground. 
The height of the building can then be worked out from the formula. Height of the, is equal to 0.5 times this pull of gravity times time squared, but it's really hard on the barometer. Or if the sun is shining, you could measure the height of the barometer, then set it on end and measure the length of its shadow. Then you measure the length of the skyscraper shadow, and thereafter it is a simple matter of proportional arithmetic to work out the height of the skyscraper. But if you wanted to be highly scientific about it, you could tie a short piece of string to the barometer and swing it like a pendulum, first at ground level, and then at the roof of the skyscraper, the height is worked out by the difference in the gravitational restorative force, t equals two times pi times the square root of length over the force of gravity. Or if the skyscraper has an outside emergency staircase, it would be easier to walk up it and mark off the height of the skyscraper in barometer lengths and then add them up. If you merely wanted to be boring and orthodox about it, of course, you could use the barometer to measure the air pressure at the roof of the skyscraper and then on the ground and convert the difference into millibars and into feet and then give the height of the building. But since we are constantly being exhorted to exercise independence of the mind and apply scientific methods, undoubtedly the best way would be to knock on the janitor's door and say to him, if you would like a nice new barometer, I'll give you this one if you tell me how tall the building is. <laughs> That student was Niels Bohr, the only Dane to win the Nobel Peace Prize for Physics. I love people that think outside the box, that are not just thrust into believing what everybody else says. <clears throat> but very few people are actually free thinkers. They, uh, very seldom do I meet someone that actually thinks for themselves. Most people just spit out whatever they've been told. So I really love that story, and I wanted to bring it to you tonight. Um, if you'd like a copy of that, why, I'm sure the pastor can get you a copy. Deuteronomy 6. Do you believe it's our responsibility to teach our children the things of God. Right? I mean, more than that, uh, you should teach them things like Grand Rapids, Michigan is on the Grand River in the state of Michigan where there's a rapids. Shocking. <laughs> they should know the difference between your Panama Canal and your elementary canal. There's no premium on ignorance. If they're going to be leaders in the next generation, they have to at least have a modicum of understanding the world around them. 
And to me, it's child abuse to not give a child a good education. To me, they're always intimidated by the world around them, and they never feel empowered to express an opinion when they feel like they're the stupidest one in the room. Give them the confidence that they need to be leaders, and uh, they may not rise to the top of anything, but they should know that... You know, eggs don't come from the store. And chocolate milk doesn't come from brown cows. I mean, they just, they should know. But in Deuteronomy 6, one of the most powerful passages, this is called the Shema. The, the Jews had this written out. This is what, if you go to any Jewish home, and they have a little container, wood or, or stone or metal, and it's got these verses on that doorpost of their house. When the Bible says that you put it on your hands and your forehead and on the doorpost of your house, these are the verses that they are on there. And so I want you to um, read with me verse 4 and following of Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'll let you stay seated. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house, and on thy gates. And it shall be, when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them the great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of good things which thou fillest not, and wells digs which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land. Thou shalt fear the Lord, verse 13. So he says, look, you guys... I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to give you unusual things. You're going to get to drink from wells you didn't dig and live in houses you didn't build and eat from vineyards you didn't plant. I'm going to bless you with all this, but your job is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, body, mind, and strength, and you're supposed to fear the Lord, and he says, you put this as frontless between thine eyes and bind it to thy hands, and put it on the doorpost of your heart. Don't ever forget this. Every day, all day long, remember, you belong to God. You were redeemed. I made a promise. You belong to me. And then look at a little later in the chapter, in verse 20, And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, what mean these testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Why, why do we do this? It's natural for children to say, well, why, why do we do this? Why do we have to be in church? Why do we read the Bible? Why do we have to do this? It says, 
Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and sore, upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. The promise... I'm going to give you seed and land, seed and land. You're going to have a perpetual lineage. I'm going to give you inheritance of land. No matter what the Palestinians say today or the politicians say today, this was well before that God promised them he'd give them the land. Now, the, the illustration is the Passover. He says, The reason we do this is because we were bondmen that got redeemed. We got set free. The most important thing for us as Christians, I was lost and now I'm found. I was going to hell and now I'm going to heaven. I'm never going to get over it. I deserve hell. I'm a refugee from the salvage yard. If I got what I deserved, I'd be burning right now. And the mercy of God Almighty set me free, and he purchased me. I'm not my own, is the first you guys quote. I, I don't belong to me. I'm not here to make me happy. It's not a lot about you, Sparky. It's about him. That's why we do what we do. We worship him and serve him. So would it shock you? I'm a youth pastor. I ask our young people in the youth department, hey, I've taught you about the miracles, the axe head that floated, how God allowed Joseph to answer dreams, how Aaron's rod, he threw it down, it was a serpent, he picked it up again. And Would you rather hear about the miracles that God did in the Bible, or would you rather hear about a Miracle that God did today, unanimously, 70 teenagers said, I want to hear what God did today. They already knew about Daniel in the lion's den. They already knew the account of the Red Sea parting. They already knew about the walls of Jericho falling down. Good enough. But I want to know that that same God is alive and well for me today. Now listen, listen. You turn over, if you will, to Psalm 78. And this is a common passage. None of this is new, but I just want to show you the, the the how this works. We're supposed to teach them diligently to our children. And he recounts all the way through how God did the miracles. You read the chapter. He caused the east wind to blow in verse 26 in the heaven. And how he fed him out in the wilderness and all of this. Um, yet in verse 41, yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. And then how God 
chastened them, and he sent diverse flies, and he destroyed their vines, 47. He turned back and dealt unfaithfully. But they turned back, it says in verse 57, and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bowl. When God heard this, verse 59, he was wroth and greatly abhorred Israel. He delivered his strength into captivity. 40, or 62, he gave his people over unto the sword. The Lord, as uh, verse uh, 64, the priest fell by the sword. He smote the enemies. I mean, he did the miracles. But he also chastened them when they did wrong. In the Bible, it says, God is love. That's not just an attribute he possesses. That is the essence of who he is. God is love. But it also says God is a consuming fire. It's not that he just possesses judgment. He is a consuming fire. And so when we think of from his love proceeds mercy and long-suffering and patience and forgiveness. But from his judgment, from his holiness, God is holy. God's a consuming fire. From his holiness proceeds judgment and equity. And I have written in the front of my Bible, God shows mercy whenever he can. Judgment only when he must. He would rather show mercy than judgment. He's not a big mean ogre up there with a hammer playing whack-a-mole. Hey, I just want to whack this guy and that guy and this guy. No, he wept and said, why will you die, O Israel? Why would you possibly reject my love? Why would you possibly turn away from my forgiveness? Why would you go that way? James said, mercy rejoices against judgment. God would rather show mercy than judgment. That's why he sent his son, the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, not willing that any should perish. This idea, their concept of who God is. A.W. Tozer said, what enters into the mind of a man when he contemplates God is the most important thing about that man. What he thinks about God, what his concept of God, what he believes about God is the most important thing about him. And listen, for our children, they need to learn to think rightly about who God is and what he's doing. As surely as he's loving, he's also holy. As surely as he uh, says he's going to do something, he does it. When you reject the love of God, then all that's left is the judgment of God. So the Bible makes plain we're supposed to teach it to our children who then will arise and teach it to their children and they pass it on generation to generation. Our fathers have told us this happened. It's no different. You get to 2 Timothy 2 and Paul's telling Timothy, the preacher boy, hey, 
The things that thou hast heard among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who should be able to teach others also, right? This is how it works. We pass down the information. But it's very important, and I want you to go back to Joshua 24. Joshua and 24. If it helps, it's page 267 in my Bible. <laughs> if you haven't found it by now, just stare at the page you're on. That's okay. <laughs> What's happening here? Right? God uses Moses to lead the children out of captivity. Then he gets to go up on the mountain and look at the land, but because he smote the rock twice, you don't get to go in. General Joshua's going to lead them in. They cross the river. They circle Jordan 13 times, uh, circle Jericho, and uh, then they go down and fail at Ai, and then they go down south, and they're fighting all the ites, the Hivites and Jebusites, the Girgashites, and all the ite boys. And then they go over by the Mediterranean and they fight the Philistines. And they go up north by Lebanon and they capture the land. And now we're going to meet and divide it. And Naphtali and Asher, you're going to be up here. And Judah and Benjamin, you're going to be over here. And Reuben and, you know, the Gadites. Everybody's going to get an inheritance except for the tribe of Levi. And boy, oh boy, this is... All wonderful. But Joshua there has them, and you all know in chapter 24, the verse, he says, now look, you guys, you're going to have to make a choice. Are you going to serve the God who brought us out of Egypt, or are you going to serve the God in whose land you dwell? But as for me and my house, what? We will serve the Lord. Everybody knows it. But I want you to see when he's recounting, look, you guys, this is what God did for us. The Jews were strictly told to recount this to their children. They can say it's boring all they want, but giving your testimony of what God did in your life, sharing with him the miracles and answered prayer, is key for them to knowing that God's still alive and well. He's still got his shingle out. He's still in the God business. And the same God that did this for them will work for you. And so in uh, this, he says in verse, uh, uh, the first oh, dozen verses in chapter 24, and he says, And I sent hornets before you, verse 12, which drove out them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with sword nor with thy bow. And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, in cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them, of the vineyards and olive yards which ye did planted not, do ye eat. In one verse, verse 14, it's the only place in the Bible that these four terms appear together in one verse. And before he says, as for me and my house, he says this to them. Now, therefore, in light of all of this, because of what God did, your response 
the way you should think about this, what you're expected to do. Look what it says in verse number 14. Now, therefore, and look at these four words, underline them, show them to your children, make sure they understand this. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. Fear the Lord and serve him. Listen, make no apologies. We, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a holy God, a living God. Thou, God is in heaven, thou upon earth, therefore let thy words be few. Don't, don't think you're so, God's not your buddy. He's not your pal. God is holy and majestic and sovereign. But he said, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. When you get saved, you get the most intimate relationship because of forgiveness and the mercy of God and the character of God Almighty. And now it says, fear the Lord and serve him. It's not enough just to bask in the finished work of the cross, the marvel of forgiveness, the joy and peace in believing. It's not enough just to sit there and, hey, how wonderful. Because of what we have, we're supposed to serve him. He's not just God. He's not just Savior. He's Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord of my life. He gets to, when it says in your memory verse, let us uh, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Another verse says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We you can have some sins that show on the outside, but you can have spirit sins that you need to cleanse and purge too. A lot of people are bitter or angry or critical or un, unforgiving. And he says, you gotta, you got to clean it all up and serve the Lord. It's supposed to show up. It's not just in your mind and it's not just in your heart. It shows up in your hands and your feet. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve it. But then, then it uses those two other words. Insincerity. Do you believe it's important that somebody's doing it out of a right heart? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Insincerity. But then there's that last word. And in truth. You know, there's a lot of people that are very sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. And what they're doing and what their approach and what they think pleases God isn't according to that Bible. And so when we say, I mean, Joshua's real careful, and that's what we want to kind of waltz through here, and we're done. He's very careful. He says, now look, you guys, in light, in light of how merciful God is, in light of he chastened them when they did wrong, in light of this is the God with whom we have to do, now therefore, since you know how this works, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him, but serve him in sincerity and in truth, and in truth. And then he says at the end of verse 
14, and um, in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your father served. I wouldn't give you a dime for Christianity to then call for personal holiness, personal consecration. Get rid of the stuff that displeases God. I don't care. A lot of people trim the message and don't say that. But he says, look, you got to put away. So now we read verse 15, and we all know it, we love it. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now there's something to be said for you are the primary influencer in your home. He made a decision and a declaration. We're going to serve the Lord. My children, it's not just dad's a preacher. It's our family belongs to God. Our family belongs to God. And he's the one that uh, loves us and made provision for us. Now, look at verse 16. It's so wonderful. It's wonderful. I just love it. It's so exciting. What do they say? And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord, our God, he it is that brought us up out in our fathers out of bond, out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, in which did these, those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwell in the land. Therefore, verse 18, here they avouch it, therefore will we also serve the Lord, for he's our God. And you say, wonderful, ain't that cool? Look at that. He confronted him. He called him to a decision. He reminded him the basis for all of this. And they said, oh, yeah, hey, no, no, you, you're exactly right. Uh, boy, he did all that stuff for us. And, boy, we, boy, we sure appreciate that. And, boy, yeah, for sure, for sure we're going to serve the Lord. But it does not stop there. It's not enough to just eke out words out of somebody's mouth. And so look what Joshua says. And Joshua said unto the people, ye cannot serve the Lord. You're going to have to take this a lot more seriously. You don't just pay lip service to this. This isn't just a 10 cent answer for a million dollar question. You'd say, well, you'd think the preacher would be excited when people said that. I'm for it, but that's just the first step. That's not all there is to Christianity. You can't serve the Lord, he said. That's, that's not going to cut it. He's an holy God, verse 19. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after they had done you good. He had just told them, put away the other stuff. And they said, oh, we, 
we love God. And I mean, look all he did for us. Well, certainly we're going to love God. But they didn't say anything about putting away the wrong stuff. He didn't say, they didn't say anything about consecrating to the Lord. And he says, no, no, I'm not going to let you buy that cheap. I'm not going to let you salve your conscience that you did the right thing. This is a lifetime thing. Do right, forsake wrong. Two ends of the same stick. They said, oh, God forbid that we should ever forsake the Lord. And he says, if you don't put the other gods away, you're going to. If you don't get rid of that junk, you're going to. You can't serve the Lord. And boy, oh boy, verse 21, and the people said unto Joshua, nay, verse 21, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, your witnesses against yourselves that you've chosen you the Lord, that ye have chosen you the Lord to serve him. And they said, we're witnesses. Verse 23, now therefore, here's what this looks like. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart on the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. Now listen, I don't care. Uh, it's fallen on hard times to call people to holiness in this generation. It's hard to say, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. It's tough to say to our young people, hey, hey, you cannot serve any other God but him. And the, I fear too often we say, well, look, as long as you believe in Jesus, there's a lot more to Christianity than just believing in Jesus. They can go to heaven. But the idea is to get them to please the Lord with their life. Hey, uh, they say, backslidden people still go to heaven. Yes, but at the rapture, they have to ricochet off the moon or something. I'm sure they go, but hey, hey, there's a responsibility. Joshua, when he says, choose you this day, and they said, okay, we'll do it. And he said, no, you can't, that, that don't cut it. And they said, yeah, no, really, we're going to. Nope, nope. The way this looks is you have to, for yourself, it's not just that they had to do it. It's not just that you heard about this. This requires you to put away those strange gods. All the while, you're paying lip service to it, and you still got this little idol, and you got this little strange god, and you got this little... God, look... God knows you got that. This secret sin, this favorite habit, this companion that's ungodly, this goal that's not pleasing. You don't get, you don't get to keep that. That doesn't come in the package. You're not going to say, I'm serving God, if you're going to be pleasing yourself. Three times. They said, oh, yeah, we'll do it. He says, you can't. No, no, that's not what it looks like. I fear too often we have professing Christendom that hasn't read this chapter to the end. And so when they said it again and again, 
Verse 25, they said in verse 24, his voice will obey, we'll live it, we'll do it. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a great stone and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. Hey, we're going to make a landmark here. This day is a day of great decision. You have avouched God to be your God. You said you're going to put away all that stuff. You said you're going to live for him. And this rock heard it. Now listen, we don't have much preaching after Joshua 24, 15. But here's, here's what you get. Here's what you get if you're going to really, really, really show them what Christianity looks like. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. So Joshua let the people depart, verse 28, every man into his inheritance, unto his inheritance. And it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. What do you think happened to those that just said that? Look at the next verse. And they buried him in the border of inheritance in Timnasira, which is Mount Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gash. Now, Gash. And Israel, verse 31, mark this in your Bible. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and, and, and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua. Now watch what it says here. And which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. Hey, hey. They got to see it for themselves. They've got to hear it for themselves. But when they know God in this way, they'll serve the Lord. I, I just will never forget when, when our family... We dealt with Aaron and the brain tumor and the kids are all praying that God would spare him and not allow him to die. And our children got to be there when the doctor said, hey, it's non-cancerous and he's going to live. They saw the answer to prayer. I told the story here before, but it's worth saying in this setting, I was trying to keep my kids in the Christian school and to earn the money to pay the tuition, I did home remodeling for 17 years. And I had a work van, a white work van, no windows, shelves, four by eight, still laid out on the floor so I could carry sheets of plywood to the job. And it was our transportation. And I'd milk cows in the morning. And we'd clean up and have breakfast and read the Bible. We'd put our six kids in the back in metal folding chairs. 
And then we go over to Sturtz's and pick up three or four Sturtz kids. And the kids are all in metal folding chairs. And when I would take them to church, every corner we went around, they all tipped to the left. And when I put on the brakes, they all came forward. And when I went up over the bridge, they all tipped over backwards. And they got good at catching one another's chairs and helping them stay. And then when we'd pull into the church parking lot, they'd slide forward. And when we got there, we opened the back doors and everybody come out with their folding chair and lean it against the church building and they'd go to the Christian school. And then after school, I'd come back and take them all back home. And my wife says, this is ridiculous. This is against the law. They don't, they don't have seat belts. They don't even have seats. <laughs> and she said, uh, I'm praying that God give us a conversion van. Now listen, I wasn't taking a salary at church. And I wasn't taking a salary at the farm. I'm working at the church. And I'm working at the farm, but... I just got free housing and milk, meat, butter, and cheese. But when you still got to pay tuition, you got to find money. And so I was doing home remodeling for the money. I had to have that work van. And dead sure, we didn't have money to buy a conversion van. And my six kids and my wife, Lord, please give us a conversion van. Lord, please help the police not to stop us. I'm not kidding you. And Lori says, Lord, I want a conversion van and I want it to be blue. And I want there to be captain's chairs in the front and in the next row. And then I want there to be bench seats. And I want there to be a table in the middle so they can do homework if... And I mean, I'm just like, oh, shut up. I mean, I already felt bad enough that I didn't have two nickels to rub together, let alone spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. But one day, a guy walks into the church and he says, did I see all of the king kids piling out of the back of that white work van carrying folding chairs? Do you honestly bring them to church in folding chairs? Well, yes. He says, well, you can't do that. If the police ever stopped you, you'd be in real trouble. Well, I drive kind of slow anyway because I didn't want him to tip over or come all up on me. <laughs> and he says, well, I saw a conversion van for sale up by Nina, and I thought of your family, and I just went ahead and bought it. You know what my wife said? Is it blue? I'm not lying. Well, yeah, it happens to be blue. She says, does it have captain's chairs in the second row or a bench? Oh, no, it's got chairs there. How about a table? Yes, it actually has a little round table and a post. She says, okay. She says, sign that title over to Lori King. Randy didn't even pray for it. <laughs> That's a God honest truth. But 
You know what my kids believe? They believe God's still alive today. They believe God hears and answers their prayers. That he's just as real to them as he was to Elisha. They believe as sure as they're breathing free air, hey, I can go to God and he knows my needs and he hears my prayers and he answers them. And I'm saying, they're not second generation Christians. We told them, but they saw the Lord for themselves. God's heard their prayers. God's answered their prayers. God's done things for them. I could tell you story after story after story. My son Seth works at Gulfstream. And he's progressing up the ranks. And he's one of the, I'll say, mid-level people there. And boy, they're expanding. And of course, now they have to get more people in leadership as they have more people. And in February, early February, this couple weeks ago, he tries to go early to work so he can get his work done before the others. He's there at 4 o'clock in the morning on a drizzly, icy day. He gets out of his car. He sees the walkway going over into the building. It's got a little walk bridge, and it's iced, pure glass ice. He's the first one in the building. He badges himself in goes to the janitor station, gets the shovel, gets the salt, shovels the walk for everybody else. He's there sprinkling salt and especially on the ice patch and the president of the company is the second one to arrive. Only he arrives and walks on a sidewalk that's shoveled and walks over an icy bridge that's been salted and he sees Seth putting the shovel and the salt away. And he says, thank you. What time did you get here? Seth said, well, 20 minutes ago. He says, well, you don't start for another hour. Listen. He said, you'll always have a job here. He says, you care about the company. You care about others. And we want to build the company on someone like that. I'm telling you. But you know what? He's seen God hear his prayers. He's wanting to move up into leadership. He's wanting to be in management. He's wanting. But it didn't start from showing off his computer skills. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him. In sincerity... And in truth, God has a way of seeing it. One of the great delights is for us to watch our children serve the Lord. Nothing's perfect. Our kids aren't perfect. But talk to any of them and they'll tell you, God is still alive and well. He's still in the God business. And I can go to him. I can trust him. Hear me, hear me. It's not enough, it's not enough, it's not enough to say our fathers told us. Slip over to Judges chapter 2.
Verse 1, an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I have I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you and ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars. But ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass, when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept, and they called the name of that place Bochan, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. Verse 6, And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people, verse 7, here it is again. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and, and, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. Here it is. Who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. There's a big difference between what I heard and what I saw. Everybody's a first-generation Christian. When you see God work for you, you don't have to just tell the stories about what he did for Grandpa. You don't tell the stories about what he did for Daddy. You tell the stories about what he did for you. All that had seen the works of the Lord. Hold it. Verse 8, And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old, and they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Nesir, or Heres, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gaash. Verse 10, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. Eventually those guys died. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. Listen to me. It, it's a short trip from the penthouse to the outhouse. The ones that saw the Lord for themselves served him. They repented. They put away the false gods. The ones that just heard about it went off in the weeds. It's always been that way. So many churches had miraculous births and wonderful godly interventions and huge blessings. But how many churches a hundred years later are apostate and no longer? How many nations started out well and ended up in the trash? You go, go all across uh, Europe where the gospel was preached and now, and look at what's happening to America. God is no respecter of persons. You turn your back on God and he judges. He's always done it. He warned us, he cautioned us, he pleaded with us, he exhorted us. 
and rebuked us. And you cannot protect your children from having to experience God for themselves. They're going to have to need God, seek God, and see God. They cannot just hear about it. They're one generation from apostasy, this church, any church. We walk with the Lord for ourselves. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I wouldn't hurt you for the world, but I, I just want you to realize what we see all across America today is nothing new at all. What we see in churches today is nothing new at all. What we see in families today is nothing new at all. You say, well, I brought them to church. They heard the preaching. They read the Bible. They learned the stories. They know about Daniel and the lion's den. They know about three Hebrew children. They just heard that. They just heard that. What have they seen for themselves? Do they know the Lord? They said to Joshua, oh yeah, we'll serve the Lord. He says, you cannot serve the Lord until you put away those other gods. Oh yeah, we'll do that. Hey, I'm serious. This means you're going to change your life. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Okay, see this rock? Don't you ever forget, this is what you said for you. Then that generation served the Lord. The ones that didn't do that, the ones who didn't see it for themselves, one generation later, they're off in the tulips. I just wonder tonight, do you care about the future? And I know the answer is yes, it's a rhetorical question. But do you understand that every generation has to see, has to see the work of God for themselves? While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just one, one plea tonight in the invitation time. Would you pray for our church and our children that they would see the Lord for themselves? That is the assurance they will serve the Lord all the days of those that overlive Joshua, those that overlive you, if they see the Lord for themselves, they'll serve him. Could you pray, Lord, help our church, our young people, our families, see the Lord work for themselves? Could you just slip your hand up? I can sure pray a prayer like that. I sure want that for my family, my kids, my future, my church. God, help us. Heavenly Father.